Today's reading is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. Mary's Song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to all who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our forefathers. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to affirm our faith in the words of the Creed. So let's stand together. And as we meditate on those lovely words of Mary's song, the Magnificat, let's say together. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate, he suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe one Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. 
I am switched on. Let's just bow our heads. Father God, you must increase as I decrease. Take these humble words and show your majesty in our lives, in our hearts and minds, and in our spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just in case nobody knows me, I'm Les. And I'm part of the furniture here. Uh, part that needs to be chucked out, I think, or put on the bonfire. <laughs> but anyway, we, we have this beautiful, beautiful song of Mary. And it makes a change. I usually get some other bodily function like leprosy or, <laughs> or disease to preach on, but uh, I've been really blessed. Well, what, what is there in this story to make this conception unusual? Well, it's the fact that it's a divine direct intervention, isn't it? The angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have a child. If an angel appeared in my house and said to my wife, you're going to have a child, I'd be gone running to the hills, I think. But the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she conceived. God was asked in a young girl to bury his child. And friends, asking for someone's womb is asking a great deal. We have a God who knows just who to ask. Mary's faithful response is, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your words. Well, these are not the words of resignation. They're not the words of obligation, but they are words filled with deep faith, love, and hope. Friends, they're perhaps the most profound words that can ever be said to God. In every situation, we as believers should offer our lives and circumstances to God. Mary gave to God the most precious thing in her, her virgin womb, the deepest place where life is born. And through this came salvation, not just for a few, not just for the priests in the temple, but for all people in all times, in all generations. So, friends, in this relationship of call and obedience, we have the gospel in a nutshell. God's grace works through faith. Just think on that for a moment. God's grace working through you when you exhibit faith. Mary's willing response was not undertaken unknowingly or foolishly or irresponsibly. For despite her youth, she knew the one to whom she was committing herself. She clearly had a maturity of faith which is unusual, but it's not unique for someone so young. Elizabeth Fry, the chief promoter of prison reform in Europe, also demonstrated an exceptional faith while young. It is said that as a girl, she showed the benevolence of disposition, clearness, and independence of judgment, and strength of purpose 
for which she was afterwards distinguished. She achieved much for those in prison. The separation of the sexes, the classification of prisoners, female supervision for women, education and religious instruction. But she said, since my heart was touched at 17 years of age, I believe I have never wakened from sleep in sickness or in health by day or night without my first thought being how best I may serve my Lord. Did you wake up this morning thinking, how best can I serve my Lord? I, I've been up all night contemplating this, so it's a question I could rightly ask my brothers and sisters. How best are you going to serve the Lord today? But I've turned up, Les. Have you turned up in the right frame of mind and heart and spirit? Do you really want the Lord to touch you today? I want more of the Lord my soul magnifies the Lord. Have you come to this building today wanting your soul to be magnified, your whole spirit stretched out? I hope so. I hope so. When Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant in verse 38 and then sings of the humble state of his servant in verse 48, she's not demeaning herself in any way. In fact, she's in the company of others who were known specifically as servants of God. Let's look at them. Abraham, Moses, David, just a few. Humility means recognizing the lowliness of one's position before God. The focus should be on the presence and the greatness of God rather than our own inadequacies. It's not something achieved in a moment or a month. Any more than patience can be learned quickly. It's an act of grace, brothers and sisters, and the work of a lifetime. A famous cartoon in Punch magazine shows two monks walking the cloisters, and one says to the other, there's not a lot you can teach me about humility. Friends, humility is not a matter of formal learning. It's a fruit that grows in our lives through the working of God's Holy Spirit. And the closer we come to God, the more natural our humility emerges. How close are you today? How humble are you today? Mary's meeting with Elizabeth brings together two women involved in the one plan of God. Well, why did Mary go to visit Elizabeth? It's unlikely that she went to hide her pregnancy as she went when it would have been unnoticeable and returned just as it would have begun to show. We should probably assume it was to see Elizabeth, who the angel told her was already six months pregnant and to help with the birth. She stayed just long enough for that to happen and most certainly to tell her Elizabeth of the events surrounding her own conception. I've been prayed one of the most profound prayers that has ever, ever been spoken. Mary is now recorded as singing a majestic song of praise. We know it is the Magnificat. Well, Mary had plenty of time on her four-day journey to reflect on the song of Hannah, which David so brilliantly brought out to us last week, and you can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. 
which is clearly the basis for this hymn. It would have been natural for Mary to contemplate on this passage as both she and Hannah were chosen to be mothers of sons who would be saviors of Israel. Well, Mary's hymn of praise emerges from a deep sense of joy. She sings out, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The birth of any child is a joyful time for parents and family. But the birth of this particular child is marked with special joy. Friends, it is appropriate that we should celebrate Christmas with great rejoicing. But one of the most difficult things we all face is that our popular celebration can easily focus on the actions marking the occasion rather than the central event of itself. Holidays, presents, parties, and even Christian values dressed up in secular clothing can, can detract from the joy. And this joy is that we should feel it. It should be something organic within us. This is the joy that God sent His Son into the world to do what? To redeem it. Well, I don't wish to be a killjoy. I'm, not, I'm quite an happy chap, really. But Christmas is a deeply spiritual occasion which should exceed any material or physical pleasure. In the last few years, uh, since I've been married to Mary Ellen, we've simplified Christmas, brought it down to just Jesus. We're not putting up fancy Christmas trees, decorations, overstuffing ourselves with food. Get the chocolates out, love. Oh, I'll have a glass of port. No, we concentrate on Jesus and why He came into this world, which was to redeem us, to set us free. Mary exclaims that from now on all generations will call me blessed. Brothers and sisters, once touched by the grace of God, your life will never ever be the same again. And you can be touched this morning. Mary's song nominates four of God's attributes for particular praise. Each of them reflects what is known of the character of God in the Old Testament. But Mary relates them directly to his creative work in bringing Jesus to birth. The first one, she says, God is my Savior. This is the Greek form of the Hebrew, God of my salvation. God was previously known as Savior, for he'd saved Israel from her enemies. Now in Jesus, God has acted to do nothing less then save the whole world from its enemies, sin and death. God is the mighty one, and he is frequently described this way in the Old Testament. The Savior of the world has to be powerful, and his ultimate power, the power of the Most High, overshadows Mary in order to conceive Jesus. I don't understand I'm a simple man. I don't understand. I accept it. I believe it. I trust God's Word. 
because he's never proved to be a liar in my life. I trust God's Word. Then Mary goes on, God is holy. Something which is holy is unique, set apart in some distinctive way. God is known as holy by both His character and His actions. And people, even us, can become holy if they're specifically set apart to live for Him. Mary praises God's holiness in that He set her apart for Himself in a unique way, that He might be born in her. She goes on, God is merciful. This holiness we've just spoke about expresses itself in mercy, which extends to all those who fear God. In the Old Testament, people who fear God are variously described as those who seek God, those who acknowledge His position, those who acknowledge His authority, and those who obey and follow His ways. From now on, mercy will be shown to all those who become followers of Jesus. Mary now turns from praise for what God has meant to her to thanksgiving for what He has done for all His people. They're not distinctly different. Verses 51 to 54 contain seven statements, which I've sort of boiled down a bit because I'm not that clever. Thanksgiving purely for God's past actions. As statements with a major implication, they're expressions of what God always does always does. As statements indicating what God has done in the past and has now been continued in the birth of Jesus, and they will be inevitably fulfilled in the future. This is a consistent nature of God. In Jesus, God has begun the final stage of salvation history. We're in the end days now. The central dilemma in Gilbert and Sullivan's operetta, the Mikado, is that any number of convicted criminals have not been beheaded, despite decrees to the contrary. In order to achieve a happy, humane ending to the story, it was suggested that because the emperor was an absolute monarch and all-powerful, if he decreed that something should be done, then it was as good as done. And he decreed that these people should lose their heads. Well, then it must have happened to the vain emperor. This was a significant endorsement of the authority of his word. Or, of course, in the case of the Mikado, it's very dubious logic, isn't it? But in the case of God, brothers and sisters, it's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. It's never wrong. It's absolutely right. Because he's performed these mighty deeds. He's brought down rulers, and he's filled the hungry with good things in the past. These are not merely incidentals to his purposes. They're the general truths expressing the eternal nature and purpose of God. 
Jesus. Same then, same now, same through every generation. Well, all this prophetic insight doesn't demand much of Mary. It doesn't demand that she has a direct knowledge of the future. It's enough for her and for us to know the constant, faithful character of God. Do you know that today? Do you know that God is still faithful? God is described as having performed mighty deeds. They can be summarized in three main actions. First, he reverses human notions of power. This is shown in the way he scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And I thought about this. And it's, I would describe somebody like that as being a legend in their own lunchbox. But that's just the way it is. He's brought down rulers while at the same time he's lifted up the humble. This is part of what's been called the great reversal of ethics and discipleship. The communist leader, Mao Zedong, believed that power grows out of the barrel of the gun. But power does not come from any form of violence or coercion, or even from any position of strength. This is true in political, social, personal, and even in our church life. Power, friends, is not something to be possessed. It's not something to be owned. Power belongs to Jesus. Power belongs to Jesus. And the way to power is through Him. We're going to be weak and feeble and fumbling and falling down unless we go through the cross. Without the cross, brothers and sisters, we might as well stay at home. We might as well have forgotten to put our clocks back an hour and, I, and still be in bed now. The only way to power is through Jesus Christ and what He done at Calvary. And once we know that, we become humble. And then we become truly powerful. For we begin to understand that power is not for domination, but for self-control, self-denial, and discipline. It's not for self-satisfaction, but it's to build others up. birth of Jesus speaks decisively of God's capacity to achieve His purposes through that which by human standards has no ability, strength, to, or any power to go forward to achieve its ends. Secondly, the Lord, He brings justice to the world. He's filled the hungry with good things, but He has sent the rich away empty. This is another dimension of God's reversal of values. 
Jesus was born at a time when rulers expected to govern. The rich were always well-fed. It was the poor who were dominated and who had to expect to be hungry. But thank God that Jesus challenges these expectations. In understanding this, we must avoid two opposite errors, though. One is to over-spiritualize the material references in Mary's song to the point where responsibilities in terms of material good, social structures, and political actions can be avoided. They cannot be. They just can't be. The birth of Jesus is, by the, is the means by which all aspects of life are to come into conformity with the will of God. The birth of Jesus brings us back into conformity with the will of God. The other mistake is to interpret what is said in purely material, worldly terms, and so to ignore the spiritual implications of His birth. The Holy Spirit was there. He's here this morning. Is there something you want to ask Him this morning? I don't know what's going on in your lives, but is there something you really want to know an answer to? God's Spirit is here. Speak with Him. It's of little eternal use, for example, to have peace in the absence of war, but not to have the peace of God which passes all understanding, which keeps our hearts and minds firmly in Jesus. This may mean that at times we're, we are to be disturbed out of a comfortable existence, to press on for a higher goal. A Spanish prayer says, may God deny you peace but may give you glory. What do you want? Peace? Glory? I don't know. The rich are sent empty away because they just do not understand the ways of God. Rudyard Kipling advised a group of university students not to care too much about money or fame for he said, someday you will meet someone who cares for none of these things, and then you will know how poor you are. The third of God's mighty deeds brings us to the end of our reading. God is praised for he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Friends, the nation of Israel has always been the focus of God's election. Don't ever forget it. We are not Israel. God has a plan for Israel. We are grafted in to Israel, yes, but we are not Israel. And these people were chosen simply for their own sake. They had nothing to merit them being chosen. And from the time of God's covenant with Abraham, they were the elect in order to bring blessings to other nations. That time is coming again, brothers and sisters, when Israel 
will be a blessing to their neighbors and to the whole world because God has said so, and I believe it. Yes, they had suffered greatly. And at this time, uh, Luke writes about Israel is under Roman rule. God has still not forgotten them, though. And in the conception of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was undertaking the greatest act of salvation. Gee, God never, ever forgets a promise. I took my grandson to London to see a show yesterday. It was for his 18th birthday, which was last year, but because I've been not too well, it's been delayed. And one of the nicest things he said to me, he said, Granddad, I knew you wouldn't forget your promise. I knew you wouldn't forget your promise. And the Lord does not forget his promise. The descendants of Abraham are now to be those who are filled with the Spirit and enter into a relationship with Jesus. In the birth of Jesus, God is communicating with all of humanity. It's the only way that everyone in the world could understand. Through a relationship. Through a person. I can't comprehend sophisticated philosophies, but having a relationship is the most fundamental characteristic of being human. How is your relationship with the Lord this morning? Forget all the fancy words. Just say to Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you, and I want to know what you know about me, and what, how you're going to prosper me for the future. Friends, in the birth of Jesus, it's possible to see the divine trinity at work bringing salvation to the world. The Father's intention, then as now, is brought into being through the incarnation of His Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus can be born in you today. We've been following this series on prayer. This is Mary's prayer. Dear friends, what's your prayer this morning? Is it a prayer of thanksgiving? Thank you, Lord, for my salvation. Thank you that you went to Calvary and you died for me. Is it that? If it's not, you're missing out on the greatest experience of your lives. If it is, it's one really good roller coaster ride, isn't it? I'm, I've got a smile on my face, a smile in my heart because Jesus died for me. As we gather around the Lord's table today, as you receive the bread and wine, just say thank you, Lord. You don't have to say it out loud. You can say it in, 
quiet into your heart. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that I'm not going to die, but I'm going to live with you forever. And I'm going to be there in front of your throne with all my loved ones around me, worshiping you. Just say thank you. Let's bow our heads. Father, we want to thank you for sending Jesus into this world. Thank you that you've rescued us from the blackness of life that we lived before we came into that relationship with your Son. Father, I just want to pray for the family here. If there's anybody who's not thankful in their heart for knowing Jesus, would you magnify yourself in their lives? Show them that you are Abba, that you are dear dad, that you have the best intentions for them. Take away their fears. Bring them close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word to us. We're now going to stand to sing The King of Love, My Shepherd Is, after which Mary.